Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. It used to be that if a city had to pass a ballot measure to be able to own and run a broadband network, that would pretty much be the kiss of death for them. Large incumbents would come in and totally bombard the community with ads and propaganda and so forth to kill the measure, and, and that would be the last you'd hear about it. But today, you're going to actually hear stories from six Colorado communities that have turned the tide and recently, last week, won their ballot measures to return authority for uh, broadband uh, back to their communities. And so this is a pretty, uh, pretty awesome occurrence here in the broadband world because it seems to indicate that uh, the tide is changing, that we are getting to a point now where uh, we can get past some of these barriers and actually get broadband projects to move forward in some of the 20 states that have these restrictive rules. So we're going to have guests from uh, six of those eight communities that passed measures uh, last week. Um, We'll be doing them in in half-hour slots here on, on the show. But we're going to kick off with um, Carl Castillo, who is the policy advisor for the city of Boulder, and also uh, Lynn Black, who is the uh, San Miguel County Administrator, uh, Jim Solkup, who is the um, IT manager for Miguel County, and also uh, representing uh, the uh, town of Ofer is Brian Morgan, who is a consultant for, for Ofer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. So let's jump right in here. Um, uh, how? What has changed in, call it, the last five years? Because when Longmont ran its uh, referendum campaign in 2009, they were swamped with $300,000 worth of attack marketing and ads from the incumbents and their ballot measure um, loss. The uh, second year that they ran it in 2011, uh, Comcast came in with similar guns blazing, maybe an extra $50,000 added to that $300,000 pot, and they they won their initiative. Um, you folks have basically or were part of eight, you know, sort of an eight community sweep of broadband ballots that that all won and won big. I mean, it wasn't just like a squeaker kind of a campaign. These these measures all passed by 70, 80%. So so starting with uh with Carl, what's what's changed in 5 years? So I think Craig, first of all, like you said, uh the measure did pass on Longmont eventually. So that created a bit of a precedent that the communities were uh, ready to support it. It also passed in Centennial and in Montrose. So there was three straight victories. And I think that was perhaps one thing that made the incumbent providers reluctant to campaign against it. Mm-hmm. I think there is also uh, the fact that there is a, um, or at least for Comcast, the fact that they are being considered to have a merger with Time Warner. Mm-hmm. I think they might be treading, treading lightly in terms of taken actions that might be perceived as anti-competitive. And so that's another factor. 
All right, that 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 makes sense. So you got precedents on one hand, and then you've got sort of the delicate political position of uh, Tom Cass on the other. Uh, Lynn, what do you and your folks, you know, on your side of the mountain think about, you know, what's what has changed? Well, not for us, not a whole lot has changed. Um, we're very remote. We're high up in the Rocky Mountains. We're 65 miles away from the nearest McDonald's, and it's just darn expensive to bring broadband to this area. And as a result, they can't get any return on their investment. So they're not going to bring it here. We're going to have to entice them to bring it here somehow. Mm-hmm. So do you see then that there is uh, less opposition because the the incumbents there don't want to serve it? So basically, rather than to fight it, they're just basically saying, go have at it? Well, one of the incumbents is um, fairly anxious to partner with us, and I think we can get some things accomplished through some public-private partnerships. Uh, I I attended a mountain conference this June, and I went on what I called the rejection trail, and I asked three different vendors within 10 minutes if they would bring broadband to my area, and they all said, nope, you're too small. So it's something we're going to have to do ourselves. Mm-hmm. So um, from from the city of uh, the town of Ofer, Brian, is there uh, a sense that you know maybe also because of the size that this is an easy uh, an easier political challenge to overcome than than it was five years ago? Well, there's only there's only 170 people in Ofer. Well, so, so uh, I don't think there anything has changed uh, as far as any opposition. Everybody wants it. All right, that's fair. That makes a lot of sense. So, in terms of the the effort, uh, you know, starting uh, with Lynn, what all did San Miguel County have to do? To, to marshal the the constituencies to get people to the polls. I mean, what what what, what were some of the I don't know, what do you call maybe the keys to your success? You know, that's really hard to say because as a uh, employee of the county, I can't campaign. Right. Um, we had two articles in the newspaper, and we had a Cotto interview, and that was it. Okay. Um, there wasn't a campaign. Uh, the ball- people read and understood the ballot issue fairly well. We did get some calls on some clarification, but I there was no campaign. People are desperate for broadband service out here. So, is there a um, was there any kind of uh, support um, organization? I think in in a couple of the cities. Uh, and maybe even in one of the counties, there was a, a, a political, a, a citizens group that came together that became kind of the face of the referendum, if you will. And they were obviously, by not being part of the, the government structure, were able to campaign. But did you folks have any of that going on? No. We had one businessman who's um, a successful businessman here in town who would give 
in the two articles for the newspapers, he provided the advocacy position, but that was about it. Okay. So it was a fairly, um, I don't know, it sounds like a fairly easy exercise. <laughs> Almost it was. Time it. <laughs> We're desperate not, out here. We really I'm want not, some broadband. No <laughs> Um, so, uh, Carl, what about in Boulder? Because I think you folks had a, uh, a citizens committee that came, that, that came together. Uh, I remember seeing one article in, in, in the local newspaper there, and these folks were quoted as well as uh, some of the some of the incumbent representatives. What, what was the campaign like there? Well, uh, so we also had the limitation of as a city, we can't campaign for a measure, but. Prior to actually putting on the ballot, we did initiate an educational campaign on the issue, and we created a website where we described uh, what the limitations in the law are and how much um, uh, dark fiber we had available to us and, and what we could do with it if we were exempted from 152. So there was a bit of education before it was actually on the ballot. Once mm -hmm. it was put on the ballot, we, we had a widespread and wide range of uh, support from uh, the business community, Boulder Chamber, our downtown, uh, our downtown Boulder group. We had uh, the Daily Camera did an editorial in favor. Uh, Boulder Weekly did. Uh, Colorado Common Cause, which was a really interesting advocate, contacted us because they are increasingly interested in, 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 in making the tools of, of today's democracy more available to people, and they see this as being a, a question of democratic equity. Mm -hmm. So that that was interesting. So we basically had a lot of people writing letters to the to the uh, newspaper, um uh, a lot of editorials in favor. There as far as I'm sh I'm sh uh, I I know there wasn't anyone who was uh opposed to it that was um you know actually actively doing so. So that mm -hmm. was surprising. I you don't usually see see that in city government. Right. Um so now what I read in the comments by uh, someone, I think, from CenturyLink, uh, and, a, and a question I want to ask both of you, but I'll start with Carl. What about the need factor? Because the incumbents in their comments in the articles that I saw basically were trying to make the case that there was plenty of broadband in Boulder. And I think that there is a perception that larger cities have got broadband covered, and what, why do large cities need to get involved in broadband? What's the what's the reality? What what drove Boulder to want to um, uh, to, to get its authority back to run broadband? Right. Well, we certainly do have a very different situation in San Miguel County. We um, we do have uh, broadband available to us right now. We have um, we have a couple of Providers, CenturyLink and Comcast. Um, the issue is, of course, that we see the uh, the need for faster broadband, and in particular, uh, making sure that it's affordable to those who don't have access. We're talking about uh, students. Uh, we're talking about people in our in uh, affordable housing units. And right now, we have 100 lineal miles of fiber and conduit that connects our city buildings or university or federal labs that we have access to and we were essentially being prevented from making that available to perhaps provide more competition. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to say that uh, 
there is sufficient competition when you when you just have two providers to actually you know want to provide that faster speed that we're seeing in places like Chattanooga, Tennessee, and, and other places. Mm-hmm. So, so the size hasn't by default led to there being sufficient competition. Um, so in some respects, I guess you had a certain amount of, uh, or did you have a certain amount of uh, people that you had to change some of their attitude about why you were doing this? You know, um, we, we didn't. There was a lot of dissatisfaction with the options that people had. Um, as a lot of people decided to support this measure, I, I believe, from what I heard, was because they were dissatisfied with the options they had. And mm-hmm. they thought having another option could only be a good thing for them. Um, that was interesting, too, because I would have thought that some people would have equated this with the with a government takeover, uh, municipalization, but our voters understood that this was not about kicking anybody out, but actually providing an additional option. Mm-hmm. So now, what's the, what's the status of life, in, uh, broadband life, in, or lack thereof, in San Miguel County? We have one fiber line that comes into Telluride, and that's it. And if you get outside of the Telluride region and the Mountain Village region, with, like just outside of their boundaries, you're either on satellite, DSL at 1.5, or dial-up. Wow. So, yeah. We just got a quote from one of the providers to provide a 20 by 20 to our sheriff's office, and it's $1,400 a month. So we need redundancy. We need competition. We need it all. How does a community in this day and age, how do you get by day to day? Because it sounds like everything there is at the mercy of a fairly shallow system. I mean, any kind of business, uh, the government itself, you know, as well as individuals, how how do you survive? <laughs> it's difficult. We have kids that go home and have to do homework online, like in, for instance, in Ofer, and they're on dial-up or they're on satellite. And it we, we need more providers out here. Um, we are... The one, the city of or uh, the town of Mountain Village provides their own services, cable television and ISP, but they buy their capacity from the one fiber line that comes into town. So we're sort of we're very dependent on that one provider. Uh, Time Warner does provide some in the town of Telluride, some access to the town in the town of Telluride, but once you get outside of the municipalities in the county, um, we have real problems. Even a wireless provider, when you've got a 14,000 foot peak in between their antenna and your house, you're not going to get any reception that way either. Um, we have line of sight issues in lots of areas of our county, and we just need to figure out how we can get at least some basic, you know, four down, one up would be wonderful. I have 1.5 at my house. The other thing I'd like to add, this is Jim, is because of where we are and the logistics of the mountains, we don't have that master 
fiber infrastructure plan to build on. Um, so there is a lot of reverse engineering and what can we do with what we have, and then simply trying to find out who has dark fiber, who doesn't, who will who will let someone else use that fiber. Just the most basic challenges like that really roadblock us from and others to provide affordable service. Um, so that that's one of our big challenges as well. Mm -hmm. So now, starting with uh, with Lynn, what's your vision of your future with having uh, the ability to to provide your own broadband? What do you see at a you know at a pragmatic level? What may be different in say two years uh, in in San Miguel County? Well, let me give you a real life example, and that is. Um, our sheriff's office, as I mentioned before, has I think three megs going into it. Two two T ones. Two T ones, um, and there is a wireless provider that is willing to provide signal to that facility, but we need an additional tower. So hopefully, I can find some money to buy a tower that they can use to then put the signal down into. The sheriff's office, there's also some residents down there that would also benefit by it. So my goal is to become the tower queen. Okay. All right, fair enough. So, um, Carl, what's what's the vision for Boulder? Uh, can I understand you're, at, you're starting with a fair amount of uh, fiber resource to begin with, but if you bring it in your own stuff, what's the vision? What's going to look like in two, three years? Carl, is that losing? I'm sorry, Greg. I had you on mute. Um, yes, can you hear me now? Yep, yep, we're good. Okay, all right. So, so we did not go too far down the road of, of creating a vision. Um, we really thought that we had to get this uh, monkey off our back first before we really did an assessment of, of what we have and what it can provide and really start having conversations with uh, private providers, which is – which is what we fully expect is that this is going to be a public-private partnership. Um, one thing that we see in the short term is we provide Wi-Fi free to the public in our municipal building, in our library, which interestingly is, is probably prohibited from Senate Bill 152, but everyone does it. In any case, now that we have clear authority to do that, we, we will be looking into other public spaces outdoors that we can perhaps provide Wi-Fi to. That's that's one of the early things that we are hoping to explore. But in terms of long-term, you know, in two years, I don't know how long it takes to move these things along, but hopefully we'll have a, a couple partners that are seriously working with us to, um, to use uh, our, our resources and, and to do so in a way that, uh, you know, provide some real competition and some real meaningful alternatives to our, our community. You know, one thing I, I perhaps haven't mentioned is that we do have a lot of federal laboratories here in Boulder, and a lot of their employees have a need for some really fast Wi-Fi, as do uh, – not Wi-Fi, uh, high-speed Internet, um, and their ability to work from home, uh, the ability of a lot of the researchers to uh, to work from home is dependent on that. So. We see this as being, you know, really essential to our innovation economy, 
And we're hoping that within a couple of years, we will have a, a partner to work with to do mm-hmm. so. Now, the wording and one of the strategy uh, points that folks have made in the past, like when I've spoken with people in Longmont and in, um, God, it was Longmont, oh, and Centennial, is that the language of the ballot played a big role in um, getting it approved. Starting with Carl, um, was the ballot, picking the right ballot language, was that a critical element? That's interesting. We did not use the same language as uh, Longmont. I think Longmont was explicit that this would not raise taxes. We did, we did not say that because our attorney's office thought that that was unnecessary. That's Tabor language. That's necessary for new taxes, and we didn't want to confuse people by even suggesting there was any new taxes. Um, we we simply uh, made it very clear that we would be um, reestablishing the right or reaffirming the right of the cities. So I think that's that's an important aspect of it. Um, it wasn't in the ballot language itself so much as in the um, the educational material that went with it. It basically was reminding people that prior to 2005, we had this authority and that uh, it's really just returning local control to the community. Um, I think that's probably an important part that people, people uh, found compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lynn or Jim, what was your take on the the crafting of the the ballot initiative? Because your wording is, is definitely different than uh, Boulder's, though it is similar to some of the other cities. Yeah, we just plagiarized from Montrose. <laughs> it worked for them. We figured it worked for us. There you go. All right. But now, what, the one question I did have in looking at the ballot measure is. Um, it is a little bit technical. I mean, you, you cite, um, uh, you know, certain statutes, and then you uh, talk about in the sort of legalese way about telecommunications and, and so forth. Was there any issue with people not understanding the technology? Or maybe a better question would be, how do you present something this complex to an electorate in, in, that is, you know may not be very tech-savvy, uh, it has no broadband from a point of reference of saying, okay, I know what they're talking about because I've seen it. How do you get people engaged and involved with this? Is that directed towards us? Oh, sorry, our sorry. Ballot uh, issue was, we'll start with Sam. Yeah, our ballot issue was really difficult to understand. Um, <laughs> you know, two or three attorneys had their fingers in it, and <laughs> we did – we did field some calls here at the office, you know, from people saying, what does this mean? And it's a very simple concept to explain to people. And, you know, the articles in the newspaper and the Kodo interview pretty much got the word out. It's a simple concept. And I think you have to read it about seven times to really figure out what it's saying from a layperson's standpoint. But we have a very smart population here, too, so they figured it out and voted for it. Right. What, what was your percentage I, of, uh, of acceptance? Was it 75, 73 or something? We were 80. Yeah, okay. You were you're on the high end. But also, um, in this 70. area, high-speed Internet is a topic of conversation. Because, because the services don't exist, um, uh, 
at a level that maybe the community thinks it needs to be at, people do talk about it. So we definitely had, in my opinion, we had that on our side. It wasn't like people have just been marching through time here without any issues on the, about the Internet. It actually is a topic of conversation outside the techies, just, you know, basic business owners, homeowners, audio files, video files, people that are into these emerging technologies and these things, these Internet of Things that are coming about demand Internet resources. And so it becomes, a, you know, a topic of conversation. Okay. So so you had a certain word of mouth, forgetting the technicalities of the measure, but you had a certain word of mouth that made it easy for folks to, to, to latch on to. That's I, a, yeah. yeah, that's true. So, so, Carl, was it kind of the same for you? Like, again, you know, your ballot language was a little different, and and it kind of got to the point pretty quickly about, yes, we're here to, to, to um, you know, get authority to deal with Internet services. And I think a lot of the other ballot measures talked about this in terms of telecommunication. But nevertheless, was it easy for people to get past the wording to understand what it is you were trying to do in, in Boulder? Apparently so. I mean, with 84% support, I, I would say that they clearly did. I mean, that's, that's a ridiculously high amount of support that we received for it. I, I, I don't uh, I don't know if, if uh, everybody who voted for it completely understood the uh, limitation of the law, what the full uh, ramifications of it were, but I do think that because of the campaigns, um, because of the messaging that was being done by uh, so many different people, that people just saw it as you know, rather than relying on the ballot language itself, they saw it as um, uh, providing for another option and and using resources that the uh, taxpayers already owned to do so. Um, so it is surprising because it, it is a complicated um, uh, legislative framework to wrap your mind around. But uh, again, we have we also have uh, you know very intelligent voters here, and uh, I did not get any questions from people who did not understand it. The biggest concern I had, or the, that people I had with ours, was does this mean the city is going to uh, take over uh, the, uh, the, the internet uh, in the city? Um, and so we had to clarify that first of all, there's no exclusive franchise for one or the other that this would you know the private sector will continue and second of all that even though this technically gave us the authority to create our own uh, telecommunications company um, that we were primarily interested in exploring a public-private partnership that that was a question I got more than anything else is just you know we want to make sure that you're going to be exploring working with the private sector before anything else okay so in two minutes We've got, about, we've got about four minutes before the next the two uh, guests come on. So for two minutes each, starting with San Miguel, what do you see the economic development impact of what you're doing is going to be? Again, maybe look out three to five years. What do you think it will be, the impact? Well, I'm hoping that it will substantially improve um, our economics. We, you know, we have a fairly stable economy anyway, but we have very large festivals during the summer, and there are times when you're at the festival grounds that you can't send a picture out over your cell phone. And mm -hmm. it, 
it would be really nice to have better service there. Ofer, I hope, will get some sort of service within the next three years. Um, we've had estimates from vendors from four to $600,000 to bring some sort of broadband into that area, which is a lot of money. But mm-hmm. hopefully we can, you know, do some public-private partnerships. We can access some grant funds from the FCC. Um, we can hopefully work with the state on getting some of the high-cost funds to help us um, in these really unserved areas and so kids can do their homework, among other things. Mm-hmm. The economic development side is very important um, to the town of Telluride. Mountain Village, they're doing pretty well and taking um, care of their own needs up there. The rest of the county, we've got to figure out how we're going to get signal to them. Mm-hmm. So, Carl, what what's your thoughts in terms of the economic impact this initiative will have on Boulder in the next three to five years? Well, it's probably more a question of what uh, what won't happen. I think what won't happen is we won't have businesses moving to Longmont or Kansas City and Austin <laughs> because they have quicker high speed. So, you know, we're doing pretty well. We have a, a pretty amazing startup community. I think this sends a message to those who are making a decision either to stay or to locate here that Boulder is going to make sure that you have the uh, the resources you need. And once we actually have that, you know, if we have a one gigabit uh, option uh, within a couple of years, I think that will be very attractive to a lot of companies who are trying to do cutting-edge things that require that, that speed or at least to uh, pilot it. Um, so every reason to believe that it will only be a positive and, more importantly, I guess, that it, it will not lead to our losing businesses because we don't have that higher speed. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Very insightful. Now, I'm going to get a couple of folks from Yuma uh, on the line, and and uh, you folks here from Boulder and San Miguel can stay on the line if you wish. That's fine. Uh, for our audience, just so you understand what's happening, I'm calling out to our next couple of guests to get some of their impact, uh, some of their feedback on how uh, the ballot initiative was won in their part of the world. Hello, this is Darlene. Darlene, this is Craig Settles, uh, Gigabit Nation. How are you? I'm just fine. Thank you, Craig. Well, welcome and thank you for being on the show. Darlene uh, Carpio, ladies and gentlemen, is the Director of um, Yuma County Economic Development uh, and uh, a very happy <laughs> happy camper, I'm sure, because of how the, 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 the ballot initiative turned out. I'm going to uh, call in the city manager from the city of Yuma, which, um, you know, I never did ask, but I'm assuming that the city of Yuma is in Yuma County. Is that yes, uh, it is. a guess? Yep, that's correct. Okay. All right, so we'll get, uh, we'll get Sid online here. Hello, this is Sid. Sid, good afternoon. This is Craig Settles. How are you today? Just fine. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. This is Sid Fleming, who's the Yuma City Manager. And uh, we have some of our uh, previous guests are still online, folks from uh, San Miguel County and Boulder. 
Uh, you're going to talk a little bit about the Yuma perspective on uh, what's going on. I want to thank you both, um, Darlene and Sid, for uh, for being here. Uh, let's start right off the bat. Um, well, I asked the other uh, guests earlier, uh, five years ago, in almost any state, if you had to put a referendum on the ballot to um, approve broadband, that would pretty much be the kiss of death for that initiative, for that project, because the incumbents would basically kill it in the electoral process. So from from your perspectives, uh, starting with uh, Darlene and then Sid, uh, ha- has what's changed? How are you folks able to run this initiative and have it be so successful when just a short while ago uh, folks weren't very happy with cities doing this stuff? Well, you know, Craig, I think five years ago, people in our area did not realize the need for increased broadband services. And so the success of our ballot issues, I think, came through a pretty extensive educational campaign. There were many presentations that were done, articles in the paper, letters to the editor, that type of thing, to try to educate our constituents as to why this is important to us, Mm -hmm. not just for in our residence, but through economic development, for our medical community, and in our schools. So I think they really were aware of what the issues are and that it's just difficult in our rural area with low population to build a profitable business case for our incumbent providers to to do this. Mm-hmm. Sid, what's your take? You, you know, much much the same as Darlene. Uh, I know the broadband task force that we put on put together in Yuma County worked for over a year before we got this got to the point where we decided we really needed a ballot question to try to address the future of broadband in in Yuma County and the city of Yuma and even the city of Ray. And and I think part of that, too, is that the need is changing. And I think although some people aren't really, don't realize that they need more broadband, there's a pretty strong contingent that they rely on broadband on a daily basis, and and their demand for it has increased over that five-year period quite a bit. Okay. So that brings up a question, then, about... Uh, the process before, and I got this sense from uh, Boulder and, and, and San Miguel that there was a certain amount of work done before the official, if you will, uh, referendum process kicked off. Um, is that the case that you guys um, did a lot of the did a lot of the educational stuff before you were um, into the referendum process because of that restriction of governments being not or being not allowed to, in essence, campaign for their own referendum, right? So is that like a message to other communities then that the battle for broadband or at least the battle or the task of educating the community needs to happen extensively before the official referendum period? And either one of you can start. I guess Sid will start with you. Yeah, and and I think we, like I said, with the broadband task force that Darlene helped uh, basically coordinated and got started here in Yuma County, um, we'd met for a year before we got to pretty much before we got to the 
point of putting a ballot question on, and that educated and, and and got the involvement of local business owners and the providers in the area, and I think that's where um, we had done a lot of work ahead of the actual initiative, and then that core group was part of the group that ran the the campaign basically because they knew how important it was. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Darlene, any additional thoughts on the on sort of the run up to the official referendum process? Well, you know, a couple of more detailed items that I might add is, is Sid is correct that we had this task force going for a year. And the first thing that we had to do was educate ourselves as to what the issues were in the county. So we did um, a survey to try to assess what the needs are and found out very quickly, not only the needs, but the need for education. Um, we also developed a website so that people could weigh in on what is your broadband speed, what are you paying for, what do you feel like you need. Um, we did some one-on-one -on -one interviews with the internet service providers in our county to find out what the challenges were for them to expanding their service. So we had to educate ourselves first before we even need, knew that we needed to, to address this ballot issue. Mm -hmm. And that is... Um to me, I think that's very critical. I, obviously, when I do consulting with companies, uh, not companies, with communities, uh, and they ask the question, well, we know we have this ballot issue, and how can we be successful because we've got to, um, we've got to not, you know, we're not going to be able to campaign, so what do we do? How do we do it? And I've always uh, encouraged them to, to start early, uh, make sure people understand, strip away as much of the hype as possible, I don't know, you know, how you guys sort of address that issue, but one of the problems when you look outside of, you know, the communities, when you look at the industry, right, us folks who are analysts and vendors and whatnot, we will just talk about, you know, broadband, all these grand and glorious terms, but at the at the local level, I think the education has to be very uh, straightforward, direct to the point of people's lives, and leave the hype at the at the front door, as it were. Does that seem reasonable? You know, absolutely. It has to be done in layman's terms, for sure, so that people can understand what the issue is, what the need is, why is it even being addressed, and what does it mean to them. Mm-hmm. So, so, you got any additional thoughts on that? N no. I, I, like, I think that's... Um, you really have to be able to put that out there because I, you know, when talking to my grandma about um, downloading Netflix movies, that doesn't mean anything to her. But when you talk <laughs> of, about, if you if you're talking about, you know, being able to um, get streaming video into classrooms or um, uh, telehealth type issues that's where people can really understand the importance of that. And plus when you can relate that to, Hey, you know, this business, you know, when you go into the bank and you can't do anything mm -hmm. because of the internet's down, that's why we need better broadband. We need. Hello. Yes. Oh, sorry. I, I wasn't sure you were that uh, got cut off or not. Sorry. Um, how important either at the county level Darlene, or at the local level, 
uh, how important was the topic of telemedicine and healthcare services that would be impacted by broadband? You know, I think it was a very high priority. You know, some people in their homes, they think, you know, I've got Internet service. Really, I'm served, and I just don't see the need for this increased um, service that we're trying to bring to the county. But when you let them know that our local hospital is paying one of the highest rates in the state to be able to send the data um, wherever it needs to be to meet people's medical needs, that resonates with everyone. They want to know that, that their needs are being met and that our facilities are top of the line and able to meet whatever they need. So mm-hmm. it, that was very much a priority. The other one was education. Um, people are realizing that we cannot use all of the services available for distance learning or even um, you can get every kid an iPad, but if you take it home and you can have two kids working on it under the same household, it really doesn't work. And and we want to have those students to have the same services. Okay. That, that's very interesting. So now where does the – or I'm sorry, Sid, what, what's your take at the city level? How – because I don't know if your city has its own hospital or, or the hospitals are outside of uh, Yuma. Yeah, I think, and and Darlene spoke well to that, is that I think it was ver- the telemedicine portion of that was very huge because we had the hospital saying that that is, you know, one of the biggest drivers for them is there's going to be more and more information that they have to try to push to other hospitals um, so that we can keep the services that we have out here. Um, mm-hmm. That way people don't have to drop everything and drive two hours to to get quality medicine there's some of that can go on out here um in Yuma or or even Ray because we because it, the broadband is is boosted. Mm-hmm. Interesting indeed. Now from a economic development standpoint, and I know Darlene this is your big focus, um what do you see as the impact or the potential impact on the economy for the county. Uh, Because a lot of my guests on the show have been representing cities and have been talking about it from a city perspective, but from from a county level, what's what's the potential impact here? Well, you know, Craig, we're located in a very rural area of northeast Colorado. We're out on the plains, so we don't have the mountains to, to deal with as far as the terrain to to put in cable or fiber. But the problem that we do have is we have a lot of distance, a lot of miles between customers. So we we really need to support um, the, the businesses that are located right where we are. And what we're finding out is most of them, the best service that they can have now is a T1 line, which, you know, a decade ago was optimal service, but right now the only speed, the highest speed you can get on that is one and a half down. Well, that's very, very minimal. So as agriculture, which is our main industry here, becomes more and more state-of-the-art, you've got tractors, combines with GIS um, technology involved. People are running their sprinklers off of their iPhones and their iPads. And without appropriate broadband, we cannot do that. We can't take advantage of the technology that's available to make us competitive and to make our businesses as strong as they can possibly be. 
Um, so to us, economic development-wise, this is just, it's, it's the highest priority to get the businesses the service that they need so they can operate optimally at a reasonable cost. And it mm-hmm. will mean a lot to their bottom line. It will mean a lot to retaining those businesses in our area and to helping them grow and add, add employees and jobs. Mm-hmm. Now, what's of interest to me is um, <clears throat> a couple of years ago when I spoke with the folks at Longmont and then also Centennial, we were kind of doing a post-election wrap-up of you know, how they were able to be successful, especially in Longmont's case because their first ballot measure lost and they had to do the second one before they won, and they won big time, and then they, they ran their, call it referendum part two, last election cycle, and that also won pretty handily, and there was no opposition. Um, the visions that you both have, you know, both at the city level and the county level, are the things that drive broadband, uh, but, but how does the strategy of the wording of the measure come into play because I got the you know a copy of the referendum language and it's a little bit techy, geeky, wonky stuff in a short paragraph. I mean it's not necessarily long, but you know, if you sit there and you read it, it's kind of well, you know, there's not necessarily the immediate link between what you're seeing visually and then all of these visions. Is it because of the education that the language didn't become a barrier in and of itself? Or did you have issues where you had to like educate on the 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 whys and wherefores of the ballot language itself. You so know, I think that definitely questions. that definitely was part of the education process. Is why is it worded this way? Um, and we tried to make it as inclusive as we could, Craig, so that we didn't have issues down the road and have to redo. An election. So, for instance, in that wording, it says, can the cities or the county um, directly or indirectly facilitate broadband or telecom services? Well, indirectly, we, we do not intend to be a utility provider providing Internet as a utility, but we certainly do want to maybe be able to do the infra- infrastructure. So that could be interpreted as either direct or indirect, wanted to make sure that we covered all our bases. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there was some education process out there, and yet, you know, we felt like it had minimal legal ease and technical language included. Right, right. I think uh, the folks from San Miguel said that they had like three lawyers involved at some point. And from (laughs) from my experience, if you've got that many legal hands in the pot, it's going to be hard to get something out that's, that's comprehensible to, to the average person on the street. So, you know, you, you probably have done fairly well <laughs> in this regard. So well, now, I think we had one one attorney involved and some very helpful neighboring communities who'd done this before who shared their wording, so that was all helpful. Oh, there you go. So it keeps it fairly uh, straightforward and to the point. Um, should... I know I'm asking you to kind of project for others, but now that we've got um, eight cities this cycle, eight cities and counties this cycle, uh, three other uh, communities before this and previous election cycles that have won their ballot measures, is there going to be 
I don't know, this major horse race come next election cycle where everybody and their their mother and cousin are going to uh, have things on the ballot. I'll start with city because you, you can maybe talk to other cities or from a city perspective. Is there going to be the floodgates opening up now? You know, um, I, I don't, I'm not sure on that. Um, I do think that through the state, um, they have got some regional broadband planning going on. And I mm-hmm. think for some of those communities that maybe were like where we were maybe a year ago, weren't really, didn't realize that there was a big issue and everything. I think this regional planning process will probably kind of bring to light that, hey, this is something that we ought to be paying attention to and we ought to try to figure out how we can improve it. And as they go through that, then they'll realize, uh, well, if we're going to do anything, we've got to we've got to probably go to vote if we're going to have any type of involvement with the solutions there. Mm-hmm. So I think potential, there's potential there, but um, it also depends on if, you know, what the FCC does as far as their ruling on, I know they're kind of getting out there in, in the middle of this, whether states really have the right to, to limit communities' um, ability to be involved with broadband and, um, what what the state does after they see, okay, we've got a number of communities that have um, addressed this already through this regional process. Hey, we've, we're seeing, you know, maybe this 2005 um, bill isn't quite right and <laughs> needs to be modified. Mm-hmm. So all, I think there's potential for all that. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Darlene? Are the counties going to... Jump on board as well. Would the counties jump? Could the counties have jumped on board? Well, let me rephrase this. Could the county have spoken for all of the cities, or did every city have to have its own uh, re- uh, referendum as well as the county? Our understanding, according to our our legal advice that we received, was okay, if if we would have done this only within the cities, then, for instance, our industrial parks aren't necessarily all included within the city limits. We would not have been able to to maybe use, put a municipal network in those areas. So we had to do it inside the city limits to include that area, but we also had to do it as a county to include anything outside of those city limits. So, yes, legally we were told that we had to do it at both levels. And I wonder now if counties will not be encouraged to do this. My understanding was that this had never been done countywide before, and we are one of three counties that did it in Colorado this fall. I can see that being more plentiful in the future. Right, because... Um, you know, if, if the cities were viewed as, you know, having a referendum at the city level was the kiss of death, I think everyone would have had sheer panic at the idea of a county-wide ballot initiative because, you know, there would just been so much more market to cover and people to influence and all the rest of it. So, um, you know, I definitely think that in some respects the floodgates will, will be open. It does bring up another question, though, which is um, – both of you having gone through the process now and seeing some of your other you know, colleagues in other cities do this, how onerous is that is 152 now, Senate Bill 152, which basically you know, took away that authority. Does it matter that that bill exists? Because if 
if the other cities and counties can jump on board, and if the incumbents are showing such a lack of willingness to fight back against these referenda, um, do you even bother to to rescind the law? Uh, we'll start with Sid. You know, I that's um, I, I do think if, as you look at the kind of the success that um, especially this this election had with getting that passed, that um, maybe you leave it out there and it's easy enough for communities just to to make sure they got to kind of plan ahead, but get it out there on the ballot and the people can decide. But I guess ultimately. From one perspective, I would say that, you know, if you're seeing that the trend, maybe the the voices that were being heard in 2005, um, there's a different voice out there now that says local governments, whether it's counties or cities, want to be involved with that. And in a sense, as they look at these regional plans, maybe have to be involved at some level to um, to increase the broadband capacity in the state. Mm -hmm. So in in essence, you're saying that um, you can live without it, but maybe if they took it off, no one would shed a bunch of tears either. Well, well, um, there might be a few people or a few uh, (laughs) (laughs) bigger industries that shed a tear over that. But um, I think, I think with a little bit of planning, it seems like it's, um, quite feasible to be successful in this. And I think as people see, I think that's why it's successful. People see that there's a need. And in our case, you know, we're not, we don't even have a kind of definitive final end product. It's just we want to be able to explore all possibilities. And we felt like we had to pass this referendum before we could really get involved with those types of solutions. Mm-hmm. Darlene, your thoughts? thoughts? You know, Craig, as long as this law is on the books, my opinion is that municipalities and counties don't really have a choice but to go ahead and do this election to opt out. The election costs some money, but it's a lot cheaper than a potential lawsuit. And as long as it's on the books, that, that threat is there. The other thing that I think, however, may happen is because these elections have passed so successfully by such wide margins with very much bipartisan support, I think it would be encouraging for our state legislators to look at this and repeal it statewide. I have heard that that is, there's some interest in doing so. I just don't know if there's been any commitment from legislators to really sponsor that. But I would think they could look at what's happened and be very encouraged to do so. Right, okay. So let me ask this question, which has been one that uh, folks have brought up to me a couple times. Does the requirement to have a referendum, in essence, force either at the county level or the city level, folks to plan better? In other words, rather than the city saying, okay, we're going to build a network and now we're going to go do it, right, you have to pass the referendum. Well, in order to pass the referendum, as you have found out, You've got to educate and build consensus and so forth. So in, in some would say that, well, because of the law, your county and your city have done more effective planning and consensus building than it might have done otherwise. And so starting with Darlene, is that a 
do you think that's a true assumption uh, or is it off the mark a little bit? Craig, in our case, I don't think it was applicable at all. And I tell you why is when we started a year ago, we didn't know Senate Bill 152 existed. <laughs> so we, we, we didn't start this process because of that referendum. We started the process because we knew we had challenges and issues with our broadband services and we didn't know what to do about them. So we started in earnest just having the conversations, inviting stakeholders to the table, and doing our own research to see what did we need to do to address this. Then we got to the point where, okay, it kind of looks as though the answer may lie in some kind of a municipal network, and we were told by legal authorities that guess what? you need to address Senate Bill 152. So it came as a surprise to us. We didn't know it was there. So, uh -huh. no, I don't think that encouraged our process. I think it was just an obstacle to remove. Mm -hmm. uh, Sid, what's your, what's your take? Did the, did the bill make you guys better planners, or were you not aware of it either when you guys started a year ago uh, educating well, your we, city? We were right right there in the middle of all that with, with Darlene and that broadband task force. And I think okay. it's one of those things that, you know, you look back and be like, man, we, we could have made it a little bit easier on ourselves if we'd had this vision five years ago when we're slowly building towards this. But um, I feel fortunate that we were able to, we educated ourselves rather quickly and we were able to um, educate people quickly and we're able to get this, um, done this fall rather than maybe being a year or, or two years away from getting a vote. So mm -hmm. so to wrap this up in about a, a, a few minutes before we go into the next uh, couple of uh, guests, <clears throat> from the, starting with the city perspective, what do you think will be the biggest economic development impact of whatever comes out of your network initiative say, in three to five years? And Darlene, I'll ask you the same question a second after Sid. Um, well, from economic development standpoint, you know, I think, I, I guess one thing would be is that some of these businesses that we do have in town um, will be able to provide better customer service to their, to their um, customers because they have um, more reliable um broadband options um you know that they can they can have some um backup options and i so i i guess i see it that it just strengthens the core businesses and the other thing it would be is i think it adds a quality of life factor for um for yuma where you know if you don't have broadband and you're you're you get somebody from a place that has that uh that has cheap affordable and and fast um, internet service. If they come out here, they might not last very long because we don't have that out here right now. But if we mm -hmm. can offer that, I think that's something that we can offer our residents and our citizens that uh, adds a little bit of quality of life. And so as we're looking for doctors and bringing doctors from the bigger um, cities out here to, to work in, in, in Yuma, that's something that they might be willing to stay a little bit longer because they have as good as internet out here as there is in Denver. Excellent. So, Darlene, and we got about a minute to, to wrap up. What's your summary of, you know, the biggest economic impact you see 
this initiative bringing to the county in three to five years? You know, Craig, I think we are already becoming known more as a broadband-friendly environment, so we can Mm -hmm. encourage the service out here. And I think because of that, we will be able to accommodate any business with whatever they need. It's no longer going to be a stumbling block to look at Yuma County and say, we have this need before we can set up business, set up shop in your area, and that hopefully in three to five years will not be a concern at all. So I hope we become very, very attractive. All right. Well, I'm sure you will, just gauging by the successes of other communities that have gone down this path. Uh, I want to thank both of you uh, for for being a guest on the show uh, and providing some useful insights and hopefully some inspiration to other communities in Colorado. I'm going to call in our next uh, pair of guests, and both of you can hang out and and listen in on the the show. So you don't have to go, but I know that you have, I think, Darlene, you have a... Thanks, Craig. No worries. Thank you. Blanco County. This is Caitlin. Caitlin, good afternoon. This is Craig Settles at Gigabit Nation. How are you? Hi, how are you today? Good, thank you. Doing all right. (laughs) Doing all right. I'm going to call in our uh, co-guests, if you will, who will um, join us, and then we will kick this thing off. Maybe I will take another second here. All right. Sometimes even the, the simplest of technology will always present a challenge. All right, let's see. Pull in. This is Scott. Scott, good afternoon. This is Craig Settles of Gigabit Nation. How are you? Very good, Craig. Thank you for calling. No worries. Well, thank you for being a guest on our show. I also have here um, Caitlin uh, Cook from uh, Rio Blanco. Scott Burgess is the mayor of Redcliffe, and obviously you're here because both of your cities uh, were successful at um, getting ballot initiatives passed. I think the most awesome aspect of this whole thing is that just five years ago, this would have been totally unheard of, and especially at the county level. Right? I mean, it was, it, was, it was hard enough for a city to survive a referendum process, but doing it countywide seemed, you know, totally uh, in, implausible. And so congratulations on both of your uh, respective victories. And uh, let's, let's kick off with, um, you know, how difficult was it to uh, not only win, but win big. Did you have any oppositions? Did you have any local resistance? I mean, what what kind of mountain or molehill did you have to navigate here? And we'll start with, uh, with Caitlin. You know, we were relatively lucky. We didn't have any big hurdles like that that we had to overcome. Obviously, you have some questions from your constituents, and you have – you know, general general questions regarding monetary issues and things like that. Um, but we really didn't have anybody who was speaking out against it. Um, obviously, some of the service providers kind of raised an eyebrow when they found out what we were going to be doing. Yeah. Um, but but our locals really they got behind it. They understand kind of where we're where we're coming from, why we're wanting to do this. And honestly, this was born out of necessity. We need broadband service here, and everybody, all the voters, recognize that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, 
Mayor Burgess, how was it uh, rallying the troops in Redcliffe? And, oh, by the way, where is Redcliffe and where uh, – Caitlin, I forgot to ask you where Rio Blanco is. I don't know if Redcliffe is in the county or are you elsewhere in the state, Scott? Uh, Redcliffe is – we're in a very tight little valley in between Minturn and Leadville. Uh, okay. If you're driving down Highway 24, you go across a big green bridge, and we're under that bridge. Um, and so it's a it's a very remote location, uh, mm-hmm. similar to say Marble. Uh, Marble has the same issues that we do, where they're, they're just in such a tight valley, it's hard to get a signal back in there. Right. Okay. So, but we it... we had no issues with uh, we had no opposition at all. Um, most okay. people really didn't understand what it was about. So, uh, for once, they kind of took my word for it. <laughs> That's always a good place to be. Well, let's talk about yeah. the, the the run-up. Some of the, the previous guests uh, from Yuma and uh, San Miguel County and so forth talked about uh, instigating an education process before the formal referendum started because you can't, as a city, actually campaign for these. So, mm-hmm. so starting with um, Scott and then with you, Caitlin, talk about um, what was your run-up to, to – build support? I mean, was it just simply here, you know, you sent out a note and everybody said, okay, we'll vote on that and that that was the end or did you have to do some amount of work to to get people up to speed? Right. Well, um, what, we're lucky that somewhere along the summer, uh, I made connections with a company that is interested in bringing internet into town and it's the first time. So they've got a microwave signal going from the uh, top of uh, E. Cooper and over to. Can you hear me? Okay. I, it sounds. It sounds good. You sound good. Definitely. Okay. There's just a bunch of background noise on my end. Uh, any case, uh, there's a signal coming in from the top of E. Cooper to the hillside above town, and they set up a temporary connection, and we're able to go down to the local restaurant and show people what it would look like if you had for video streaming on one laptop simultaneously. And it just really wowed them. So this is just a typical people get together on Thursday nights and uh, and drink and have tacos, and they showed off the Internet. And I think that really turned the tide to that particular uh, ballot measure. So you educated by showing and having people do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, people already understood that they don't have any service and that they really want service. How does that happen? Well, here's somebody that's willing to do it, but we've got this bill, this law that's in the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might have actually been, uh, according to our legal advice, exempt from a lot of that law, but this is just this was just a way to put a nail in the coffin. Right, 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 right. Close it on up, Caitlin. How how was the run up for for you guys? How did what did you have to do? How did you do what you had to do? <laughs> Perfect. Well, ours is a is slightly different. So we began talking about broadband service earlier part of this summer, and ultimately what this came out of is we jokingly say we just want our Netflix to work, but it's bigger than that because we are having employees and businesses that are leaving our county because they just don't have the services that they need, and so this summer when we started talking, you know, we we kept. We, trying to figure out what is the solution to this problem. We're not getting the service providers to respond to what it is that we're needing, and how do we escape that runaround. And um, 
this Senate bill just kept getting in our way every time we turned around. So that's where we were like, okay, first step, number one, we got to get this on the ballot, get this taken care of. So it kind of forced us to speed the process up a little bit. But we had local citizens, and we don't necessarily have a broadband task force group or anything like that, um, but we have some really good advocates um, in terms of our citizens, and they put information in the newspaper because we obviously couldn't spend any money. So they kind of did that side of it for us, and they, they put in um, letters to the editor you know, from our chambers and from our towns and... Um, companies that, that need these services, that sort of thing, and also companies that want to pair with us and want to be the service providers here also kind of took it upon themselves to help um, create communication documents, if you want to call it that, um, to help spread the word and kind of educate the voters on what the ballot was, initiative was going to be all about. Interesting. So, you know, it sounds like it, it was a... Um, part of a process that even if you hadn't had the bill that the exercise would still be would still be effective would still be useful right as far as helping you lay out the groundwork build consensus and so forth i mean and in fact um i i've talked to a couple of people in other states who feel that instead of viewing the requirement for a referendum as a burden maybe should look at it as a, um, you know, as a driver of effective planning and consensus building and, and look at it as a net, as a net positive thing. Uh, Scott, from your perspective, is that a, maybe a good way to look at this or do you see this building in different light? That, that sounds like hogwash. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the reality is it costs us time and money. This should be rescinded at the state level. It was a silly bill. It should never have been pushed through our legislature, and it should be rescinded. Not every town and county should have to go through this process. We were lucky that we already had, well, lucky if you call it that, we already had a citizen-initiated referendum uh, to ban retail marijuana shops in our town. So mm -hmm. we had to have an election as it was, and we said, well, since we're already paying for the process, we might as well, you know, throw this on at the last minute to, like I said, put the nail in the coffin. Um, so I, th I think it's, you know, driving effective, that, that's hogwash. It, it's just waste money and time. We need to get down to it, and the more time we waste, the further behind my little town falls. Right. Caitlin, how do you view it? Was it a you know a net win, or do you feel, as Scott, that this thing should probably be kicked to the curb now, and it does create a, a, some amount of a burden for uh, for counties and cities? Well, I definitely agree with Scott. What's what Scott was saying with it that it costs us time and money. Elections obviously cost money, and you know it takes a lot of time and expertise to draft the ballot language and just go through that process, wait for the voters to vote, and that sort of thing. Um, it did speed us up along a little bit because we knew that we were going to be having an election coming up, and so instead of having a special election, we wanted to jump in on that cycle. And so it did kind of um, give us a, a deadline that said, okay, if we want to be on this election cycle and get this ball really rolling, we have to be done by this time. So um, in terms of the planning, I mean, that, that would have still been, been going on um, at the local level for sure. Um, this was just one one little thing that we had to get off of our checklist of things to do. Mm -hmm. 
All right, so it, it seems like you have a definite valid point. What What's the cost of doing this? Uh, like if you had to do an election and you didn't have something else to piggyback on top of, about what kind of cost uh, would a small city have? So, Scott, obviously you can speak to it from that perspective, but at the county level, you know, what kind of costs are there? I'm assuming it costs more, obviously, to, you know, to rev up the machinery for a county than, than a small town. Oh, all right. right. For us, I mean, it's a matter of, I mean, it's not much. It's like $500. Um, and I can't give you the exact cost. It's not mm-hmm. a whole lot of money, but it's more about the time that goes into it. Ah, right. Okay, because there's like processes and paperwork and so forth. Well, and then people actually have to show up. And Well, in the case of Colorado this year, we you had to get your mail-in ballot and put a stamp on it, maybe two just to make sure it gets there, uh, or hand-delivered. You know, it's it's, it's time on everybody's part. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think, Caitlin? What, what would it have cost, or what does it cost, to, you know, at a county level to run a campaign? Well, that is a great question. <laughs> and unfortunately, I don't know the number for the county as a whole. Um, I could definitely check with our clerk and recorder and find out what that would have been if it was a special election. I also sit on the town council for the town of Meeker, and I know that when we've looked at doing special elections for various different um, topics, it's in the neighborhood of about $10,000 to do that special election. So, and that's just for the town of Meeker. So then the county would incorporate, you know, the town of Rangeley and the town of Meeker. So I'm not sure exactly what that dollar amount would be, but it would be pretty substantial in terms of of money that is going to just avoid a process. Wow. So so if we're talking counties getting involved, um, there's definitely uh, both cost and time is going to be uh, a factor. Um, now, now, having said that, given the success that the eight cities had collectively and the three cities previously that won their respective ballot measures, do you, and I'll start with Caitlin, but I also want to get Scott's take, do you see a flood of counties now gearing up to have their own ballot measures? Well, you know, I think especially in rural Colorado or smaller smaller counties um, that are not the profitable business model that the service providers like to see, I think for them to kind of jump into that, it's almost going to be required. Now, if we get some state reform, that's a different story. But if everything stays as it is today and those other counties want to get, or counties or cities want to get the services, then, yeah, I think they're going to have to take that step. Mm-hmm. But do you think they'll probably be more confident because they've seen uh, your your victories? I had a um, person from the Economic Development uh, Agency with Yuma County who who felt like you know, a combination of there is a need, right? A need is driving this process, but um, seeing three counties actually win their ballot initiatives is probably, and from her perspective, is probably going to get a lot more counties to sit up and take notice. 
Right. I would agree with that. Um, first of all, because we can kind of be used as the guinea pig if you want to go down that road. You know, they can look at our ballot language. They can kind of see what it is that, that made it successful. And then they can also kind of gauge where we're at with the process and, you know, kind of learn from, from what others are doing. And there's no, no reason to reinvent the wheel. So I do think that, that it probably will make the other counties, you know, have, like you said, more confidence because there's it's there's a track record now. Right. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Scott, what's your take from, you know, your colleagues, your, your, your fellow and sister mayors in, you know, across the, the state, are they going to think, be inspired, uh, by this, or is it just going to be, you know, the need will really drive it. And, and the fact that you guys were successful is, you know, nice, but not necessarily an influencing factor. Well, I, I know at uh, this year's Colorado Municipal League Conference, I'll be, uh, I'll be pushing my fellow mayors to do the same thing. We had a, uh, a session, very first thing in the conference, where all the mayors get into one room, and that's something we'll certainly address. And I'll push um, locally here. Our mayor manager group uh, meets quarterly. Uh, our last meeting got uh, postponed uh, right before the vote, and which was unfortunate because I was going to try and get all, you know, the other six municipal or five municipalities here in Eagle County to do pretty much the same thing, as well as the county. Uh, and I still hope to convince them to do that um, at an appropriate time in the next election cycle. Uh, you know, as Caitlin said, a special election is expensive. This, uh, elections in general are expensive. You know, I make light of it's only $500, so that's because we only have 150 houses in town. Uh, but we do have some 300 people on uh, registered to vote. Uh, and... We had 109 people show up, which was pretty good for a mail-in ballot, I thought. Uh, and I think that that should encourage uh, other cities and counties to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It would be easier, though, if the state would just do it. Right. No, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. In fact, I have a report that will be coming out in a week or two that will look at all of these states' uh, laws and how they're constructed and so forth and talk about um, you know, should they go away? Why they should go away? What is, you know, you know, what might it take to get people to move to the next level, or to move away or around some of these these laws? Um, by the way, when is that municipal uh, um, conference? You mentioned what was the League of, of Municipal? Uh, the, the Colorado, yeah, the Colorado Municipal League is a, a conference that happens every year. It alternates in between Vale and Breckenridge. Uh, and this year will be in valence, usually in mid June. Okay. So I'm guessing that this, and if, if for no other reason, you know, you two here on on the air are going to be be out there championing the whole concept of uh, repeal the law, and then let's get ourselves in gear to, you know, if we have to live with the law, to to, to move these things forward. I, I'm, I'm actually not going to push my fellow mayors and managers as much as I'm going to push upward. I mean, we need to be talking to our state representatives. Why are you not doing this? Right. Um, well, and, now's and, the time. So if if we all push, if we all push from the bottom up at the state, maybe they will do something. I, I hear you on that one. Let's shift gears for a second here. So, um, starting with uh, with Caitlin. What do you see the biggest economic impact of your initiative in, say, three to five years? I know you're at the beginning part of the planning, 
But what's the vision? You know, what do you folks see as as going to happen as a result of uh, having your own network? Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things that we want to see happen is the retention of employees. So we have a problem here where we cannot get our doctors, educators, that those sort of professions to to move here and stay here because they don't have internet service at their home or they have extremely slow internet service at their workplace or something to that effect. It's it's not the quality of life that they want. So that's one of our big things is we need retention of employees. Um, it'll also make it easier on our business owners. That lends to the business retention side of things. And it opens up possibilities for new businesses and industries that utilize technological services, which ultimately is a diversification of our economic base, and that's one of our big primary goals. Um, uh, but also by having these services, it allows for more location-neutral employees and businesses. And sometimes those kind of get lost in the demographics and the shuffle of, of business, but they are a key component, and we really need to make it to where they can be competitive here, And which also leads to new business attraction. And ultimately, just making our community more competitive and more attractive for people and businesses to relocate here and, and stay here and be successful. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Scott, what's your take? In, in three years, what do you think the big economic impact will be? Scott? Hello? That's odd. Caitlin, are you still connected with us? I am. Sorry, I heard it on mute there. The dog was misbehaving. Um, okay, that's <laughs> In any case, um, what I what I think three to five years from now, uh, hopefully we have an internet connection. Uh, where hopefully we have that this summer. Uh, that would be great, uh, broadband that is. But what we're really missing, uh, public safety is a big uh, component of this. You know, hopefully they'll have better connectivity. But it will be a it'll be a lifestyle changer for a lot of people. They'll be able to work at home. They'll be able to have a They'll be able to watch their Netflix. Yes, that that's an important lifestyle thing for people. They want to be able to. Uh, we could, most houses in our town have two satellite dishes, one for TV and one for internet. Uh, you could do away with both of those dishes. Um, your property value will come up because people will want to move to town. I hear it all the time. I'd love to move to your town, but you don't have great internet. Mm. You know, they they don't care that it's well. We're currently being snowed in today. Uh, they don't care about that. They care about the internet. So that—that's what I think is going to drive our our economy. Um, we don't have room for many businesses to move into town, but it will allow maybe a small bookstore or internet cafe to come into town. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Three to five years, things can change a lot when you've got broadband. <laughs> this is very true. This is very true. Just out of curiosity, uh, do you expect? Uh, wireless to be the the primary infrastructure, given where how you're uh, how you're isolated, or are you expecting or hoping to be able to run fiber into more than just as a backhaul, but actually running it to people's homes or businesses? Well, currently, um, the the easiest way to get it in would be uh, microwave as your middle mile, but then we could potentially run fiber. To individual homes, uh, I'm not sure about the, the technology behind it. There was there's some talk about unbundling the CenturyLink uh, wires and 
getting direct access to homes. But as of right now, yeah, wireless is probably the way it's going to be. Um, and, and, you know, what we're being told is we could have 20 down and 5 up this summer, which mm-hmm. would just be glorious with using that promises 10 and 1 and delivers about 5 and 0.5. Whoa. Yep, I could see where you got you folks would be on, on the uh... – on, on, on the happy camper bandwagon for sure. Let's um, let's see. We got about uh, seven minutes or so. Starting with uh, Scott, what do you think, is, or do you think that broadband as a way to enable better healthcare and medical services is that an com- important consideration in the overall picture of broadband and why people voted for it? Um, well, healthcare for us, we're we're going into town. I don't think that people realize how important that is. Matter of fact, uh, Leadville, the next big city over, um, they had a ballot measure to basically save their hospital, and people voted against it, and the hospital is closed. Wow. Um, so I, I don't under I don't understand that mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the people in my town are relatives of people in that town. So I, I I don't know if I hope that my folks would be a bit smarter than that. Um, and, and that actually jeopardizes our Internet connection because where it was coming from was the hospital. There's a fiber coming into the hospital and mm-hmm. an antenna going to the top of a ski hill nearby and then down into town. Um, I'm not, they're going to reroute that apparently over to the elementary school. But there again, I'm not sure how Leadville is doing that because, you know, this is, now you're talking a public school, and they haven't done their 152 uh, exemption. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little uh, – maybe I don't want to know. You <laughs> <laughs> have to find an alternative route there, uh, you know, so to get that connection in there. Um, Caitlin, what's what's your thinking? How important is or might have been the, the question of, Healthcare and medical services, you know, and and the impact broadband can have on that. Right. Well, we are very fortunate. We have we have two towns within our county, and both of them have great medical facilities. And actually, we're building a brand new one right now in Meeker, and that mm-hmm. is a huge component of this. Is and and right now it's an obstacle that we're trying to overcome because there is not fiber to the new building site, and so but without high-speed internet connections, you know, you can't send your MRI images over to the radiologist who does not live here because we can't afford to have a full-time radiologist, but you can't send that stuff over quick enough to be able to get the results back. And actually, um, sometimes you can't send them that way because the connection's down or we don't have the redundancy or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And so while the voters probably didn't think of that as an initial thing of, oh, broadband's going to help my hospital be a stronger organization, I mean, it is definitely one of the underlying factors, for sure. Hospitals and the healthcare facilities in our schools um, were two of the top things that, that we're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. Well, it should prove interesting. I, um, uh, you know, I mean, I feel, I feel bad for, um, you know, Scott's position because, you know, your your fate in this area of medical services seems to be influenced greatly by the next town over. Um, and this may be possible. Well, well no, Craig, let me, um, if, I, if I could, though, I guess I do need to mention that really the closest town is Vail. 
Okay. Now, Vale is, as you might know, is very well connected. Right. Um, they've got they've got a big chunk of fiber running down I seventy. They're putting more in every day down here. Uh, that's not that's you know nine miles away from us though. Mm-hmm. So really, our, our closest medical facilities are actually doing quite well. Um, it, in from my standpoint. Uh, right. But you know the, the Leadville Hospital is twenty miles away, and they're not doing so well. We're not doing right. anything at all now. So it, it's. In our neck of the woods, it's okay for the, for healthcare, I believe. Right. Okay. I I got I got what you're saying. Um, you just have to be you know, not count on them, the Leadville folks, as as a possible part of the equation. Um, oh yeah. That that makes sense. Maybe one of the things that will come out of uh, this election is uh, regional. Uh, I don't know, regional efforts in addition to uh, the the cities and then the counties. Because I think that once, you, once you've shown that the county can get its act together and get behind a referendum like this, that the, um, you know, the folks that may be 20 towns within a county might say, well, you know, maybe our county has gotten its act together, but we can definitely, um, you know, move forward as our little region of 20, 25 cities or what have you and, and try to get something done. Um, we're almost out of time, so I'm going to have to to wrap this up. But I definitely want to say, you know, again, thank you for being on the show. Uh, congratulations for having, you know, run uh, effective um, referendum campaigns and showing other folks how it's done. And I hope that uh, both of your communities continue to be leaders in this broadband space. So thank you very much. Thank you, Craig. All righty. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch. Next week I'll be broadcasting from Chattanooga. I'll be there for a uh, conference gathering of cities that are either on the broadband uh, success circle or there are folks working to get to that circle pretty quickly. Um, we'll talk about a number of, of issues there from Chattanooga. So folks, stay uh, stay with us. Uh, keep up uh, your support, and we'll talk again next week. Take care.